We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Titus chapter 3. You know, when I first was looking at the text, I thought, wow, there's really not a lot here, but I, I probably should never say that. You probably can never say that because wherever you are in the Bible, uh, there's always so much there. And they say that theologians will never touch the bottom. And so a heavy lesson for us today, though. It was a lot heavier than I, than I thought. Because look what it says in verse 9. It says, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and useless reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition knowing that such a person is warped and sinning being self-condemned when i send artemis to you or tychicus be diligent to come to me at nicopolis for i have decided to spend the winter there Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. All those who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And we come to the conclusion of this letter to Titus. It's a pastoral letter. And we're going to see a few things, like a few categories. Number one, probably division. Number two, I think, is the area of submission. And then number three, uh, I would just call it mission. So division, submission, mission. Within the division aspect, he's going to tell us these are, are things you should avoid, people you should avoid, situations to avoid. And these are individuals that you should reject. You avoid those who just want to be argumentative and you reject those who are divisive. And, you know, and in looking at this whole thing right here, just, man, the Lord is just really ministering to me regarding the ministry. You know, Paul's writing this letter because he wants the church to be a healthy church, and he knows that if you get distracted with arguments or if you get off track with divisions, it's not good for the church. You know, Paul's going to be giving orders to Titus, and he says, I'm going to send these guys your way, and I want you to do this, and send these guys that way. I mean, there's just this, this, there's just this man who's passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not caught up in his own life. He knows why he's been saved. I've been saved because God wants to do a work in me. True, it's cool, but man, with that work, God wants to do a work through me. You know, you go over to Cambodia, there are people who never heard of Jesus. You know, you go down the street, there are people that are hurting, they're, they're wanting to commit suicide, they're stuck on crack, they're, you know, in these abusive relationships, and your lips, you know, sharing the love of Jesus Christ can save their life. You know, but here in America, it's so easy to get caught up in your own thing, your own agenda, your own comfort zone, and you lose eyes to evangelize. You lose a heart for the gospel. You lose that calling for the kingdom. And I think Paul here is just so beautiful the way he does it. 
He's just saying, you know what? I've got this great work we're going to see later in Nehemiah. There's a great work I'm involved in. I'm, I'm involved in a great work. It's not because I'm great, because I know I'm not. I'm nothing. I'm a wicked, wretched man, not worthy or able to do anything spiritually significant. But I serve a great God, and this is a great work. He loves you. He loves the people out there. He wants to bless you, bless your marriage, fulfill your life. And what we need are people who understand that, who have a heart to serve. And that's why, to me, when I read about Paul, I just think, wow, Lord, look at the way he closes this letter. It's just so cool how he doesn't want to get sidetracked. He doesn't want to get off track. He wants to stay right on track. And he just shares that with Titus. You know, look what he says again there in verse 9. Avoid foolish disputes genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law because they are unprofitable and they are useless. He says, don't get involved in foolish discussions about genealogies and fights about obedience to those legalistic laws. You know what? That's just a waste of time. You know, and there are those people that want to just debate. They really don't want answers. They just want to go back and forth. They're curious. They're never resting. And let me just share with you guys, man, don't waste your time. Some things are not worth fighting over or disputing about. You know, they just bring contention and strife to no profit, and they're actually a waste of time. You know, I don't know if you ever argue with people. When I first got saved, I used to always argue with people. And they would, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, whatever, you know, the, the gifts and stuff like that. And you can just, you know, waste so much time there. And I'm not talking about having calm conversations. That's okay. But this is in reference to heated debates where we, we really shouldn't engage in. You know how sometimes you go to the Harvest Crusade, if you've ever been there? You ever seen those guys with the signs? And they have whatever, you know, Greg Laurie's a heretic or whatever. You know, those guys are weird. They're really weird. You go up to them, you start sharing with them. They don't want answers. They don't want any biblical references. They're just set in their ways. If you go and argue with them, I promise you, you're going to waste your time. You know, maybe the Lord will use you. I don't know, but you have to be really careful with stuff like that. And what we find is that sometimes people want to argue over things, like, for example, the Sabbath, that you guys go to church on Sunday, it should be Saturday, the next thing you know, it's a big old debate, or it's a dietary law, you shouldn't have donuts or pork chops, I mean, you name it, people talk about a lot of different, some people will even tell you, and I just got to warn you, you know, unless you use the King James Version of the Bible, then you are not saved, I mean, you name it, a lot of different things. The unleavened bread, bread people, just, you know, they sometimes will criticize us, say, you guys got a dove in your church. And, you know, we try to tell them, you know, don't get hung up on that stuff. You know, let's not argue about those things. Those are the non-essentials. We don't have to argue over that. That dove, to me, is a reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit that I need in my life every single day. And if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, I will walk in my own strength and I will fail. You can always tell when you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're failing. But when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening? Man, you're going to rise above. That's the key. Every day, every moment, this cross right here. Some might even say, well, you got the cross and you got an icon. And you know what? That cross was a reminder to me every single day that Jesus Christ died for me. He died for me. It's just a reminder. We don't have to get hung up on those things. That cross is a reminder to me that I need to die to myself. See? And so all I know is that you can really get caught up in arguing about those things 
the devil would love to get you distracted from the mission at hand, the work that needs to be done for God's glory and the people's good. And right here, Paul is just telling Titus, don't, don't let it happen. You know, don't get caught up in those things. He says right there, avoid them. And the Greek word, it literally means to turn oneself about as to face the other way. And this is a common command in the pastoral epistles. Watch, if you go back to 1 Timothy, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says there in verse 3, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. You know what they were doing? They were taking the genealogies of Moses, they were trying to fill in the gaps, and they were really giving these, you're fabricating stories about the people that they're filling in the gaps with in these genealogies. It was just a crazy thing. He says, you know what, don't even go there. He tells uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, if you go over there, 2 Timothy chapter 2 Something similar in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. I mean, those who are listening to you, it might even be husband and wife and they're arguing over some non-essential and your kids are there and they're listening and they're, they're getting ruined because they hear you guys fighting. If you go down to verse 23 in the same chapter, we see basically the same thing, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And so, you know, I don't know, I don't see it a lot going on here at Calvary Chapel Almani, but just in case, you got this guy and all he wants to do is argue, all he wants to do is just, you know, he's not interested in answers. Paul is just telling Titus, don't get caught up in stuff like that. Don't let it get you caught because what ends up happening is it becomes a waste of time it's not productive and you've got work to do warren Wisby said this about how in the early days of the ministry he would often spend a lot of time with these types of people after service and he said this he said as it was i missed the opportunity to talk with several sincere people who had real problems and genuinely wanted help you know, and you might go out there and you might be witnessing on the streets. Next thing you know, you get caught with somebody who just wants to argue. And God will just say, you know what, leave them alone. Tell them Jesus loves you. Give your life to Christ and go talk to that person over there who's really hurting and who's really interested in how they might get their life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all he's saying. And so he's saying, be careful that you don't get sidetracked. I think that's the principle as a matter of fact, go over to the book of Nehemiah, if you would. Nehemiah, right after the book of Revelation, just in case you don't know where it is. Because I know some of you, you don't know where Nehemiah is, but that's okay. Because you're going to learn all the books of the Bible. I, get, I actually get excited when someone doesn't know where the books are. I'm like, wow, look, Lord, a new believer, you know? Or maybe somebody starts reading their Bible more. We'll see. But look at Nehemiah 6. In verse 1, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. 
Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? You know, and that's really, I think, uh, something that we need to really take to heart. It can happen in many, many ways. But when you're serving the Lord and God's using your life, not because we're great, but because He's great, you're involved in a great work. You're building the walls around Jerusalem for God's glory and the protection of God's people. And here come these guys, the enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they just say, hey, come down, let's have a meeting, let's talk about this thing. And you know what? You're like, you know what? I don't even have time for that. Why should the work cease? Why should I be distracted? Why should I be sidetracked? You, you mean no good. And we have to know we need the discernment in those things. And that's why, man, to me, one of the main things I think for today's study is, you know what, you guys? You got to be busy about your father's business and not be distracted with the cares and the deceitfulness of riches that will choke the word and you'll become unfruitful. We have to be Focus with laser eyes on our Lord at the mission at hand. Don't get distracted. Avoid foolish arguments, he says to Titus. And then look what he says in verse 10 of Titus 3. He says, And reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Now, division is one of the strongest tactics of the devil. When the church first started, he tried to destroy it from the outside through persecution. But he found that persecution actually strengthened the church. And so he tried another route to rout the church, and that is to destroy it from the inside through division. And tragically, this has proven to be a very effective way of defeating God's people. You see, the devil tries to destroy the church as a whole, and of course he attempts to destroy individual congregations. The devil knows the truth. Of Matthew 12, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That goes for houses, that goes for churches. We can't be divided against ourselves. The, the Bible says, or we will not stand. So we're to avoid the argumentative and we're to reject the divisive. God wrote through Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, I urge you, I beg you, I, I plead with you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. Proverbs 22.10 says, Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. If you read Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, you'll find that God hates one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, to sow discord is that seed. It means you say things that would cause division. In this case, God says, I hate it simply because it will ruin my church. You know, and for us here, it's a real practical thing. You know, if you don't like um, Calvary Chapel, that's cool. I understand there's a lot of other great churches out there. You know, if you don't think Chuck Smith was right on, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. We all have an opinion. But don't go telling other people bad things about Calvary Chapel. And don't be telling other people bad things about Chuck Smith. Don't tell him or her. Or Some people even in the past have taken it upon themselves to tell my wife and send her emails that are clearly against Chuck and Calvary and divisive. You know, all I would say to you is this. If that's your heart, 
Number one, I wonder why you're here. But number two, I would say, instead of sending it to my wife or others, talk to me about it. Because then it's not like you're trying to get people on your side. Because this right here is a problem sometimes in the church. And he says, you know what, avoid those who are argumentative and reject those who are, in this case, divisive. If you go to other people, it's kind of like undermining the ministry. And so all I would say to you guys, I understand. There are definitely questions and criticisms. I understand that. But I care for you, and I care for this church. And my encouragement to you is, rather than going to them, I would just say, come to me. And I would also say this. If people tell you things that are undermining or maybe tearing down or divisive, you know, don't partake of it. And I would even say to you and ask you to let us know about those things. Because we need to know what's going on. You know, I'll tell you guys a story because I know you, like, you guys like the juicy stuff, right? I know how you are, man. <laughs> I'm the same way, I guess. You know, but one time I went to a luncheon and uh, it was our church. We had a few people from our church and another church and then another church. So there were three churches represented. And one of the guys right there, it, it was kind of a bummer, but they said something negative about their pastor and about the church. And so um, I quickly changed the subject. I didn't want to partake of that. I felt very uncomfortable. But it was kind of cool because um, as soon as I got home, about 10 minutes later, I'm serious. Man, there's no messing around. I got a phone call. And I guess apparently uh, they told their pastor what they said. And, you know, and they just called me. They said, hey, did so-and-so say that? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, they did. And they said, okay, we'll take care of it from here. And to me, I, I kind of I hung up the phone and I thought, wow, you know, I guess in, in one sense you might call them a, a tattletale, but in one sense I thought it was kind of cool that they don't put up with it. Because we shouldn't put up with it. God doesn't like that. If you have an issue, you know, go to the pastor. Don't talk behind his... Or your overseer. You got a problem with your overseer. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. And then let's just say, you know, it's still heavy on your heart. Go to them. But don't go talking behind their back. That's all we read here. He's just saying, don't be divisive. What we have to have is this understanding. Look what he says in verse 11. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and they're self-condemned. The word warped, it means to turn or twist or tear up or turn inside out. All I know is it's not a good thing, right? And so the metaphor is taken from a building which is not merely decayed in some part, but it's completely demolished so that it's incapable of being repaired. And so, you know, we need to be so careful in this area, as you guys, we want to be a healthy church. You know, one day... I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account. And of course, I can't control everyone or everything, but I want to share with you guys and just do the best I can to protect our flock from things like this, things that might be argumentative or things that might lead to things that are divisive. And we have to stay together on this, right? So there's that issue, first of all, of division, people to avoid or people to reject. Secondly, there's the issue of submission, because look at verse 12. Paul says, When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, when I read this right here, I thought, you know, it's kind of cool. 
Paul is like taking charge. You know, he's like, he's like the coach or, or whatever. He's the quarterback. He does an audible there. He knows he's been given authority, and with that authority, he has a responsibility. And so he says, I'm going to send Artemis or, or maybe Tychicus to you. We know nothing about Artemis. We know Tychicus was a faithful servant throughout Paul's ministry. But when one of them comes, this is what I want you to do, Titus. I want you to come to me. I'm going to be in Nicopolis, and I'm going to spend the winter there. Because it was kind of like Palm Springs. No, I'm just joking. It was <laughs> Nicopolis. For whatever reason, he was going to hang out there, right? And he says, so I want you to come there. And if you think that through, you see the spiritual structure there. You see Paul, who's kind of overseeing Titus. Titus, if you remember, is on the island of Crete, and he's overseeing a lot of churches there. Some say hundreds of churches on the island of Crete. And you see Paul telling Titus what to do. He's telling him. And there's a spiritual structure there that is just absolutely beautiful. When I read verse 12, I don't see him asking him. I see him telling him what to do. Leaders, sometimes they're not demanding, but they need to be commanding. And we, in order for us to be a healthy church, we need to have that spiritual structure. We need to have a heart of submission like Titus had. You know, just as like I as a pastor, you know, I, I, uh, I have a pastor. I have a pastor. And he doesn't control this church. He allows us the freedom to follow the Lord. But I tell you what, every once in a while, or if he were to tell me to do something, I would submit to my pastor. There needs to be a healthy heart of submission to those that God has placed over us. Here Paul tells Titus, listen, I'm sending Artemis or Tychicus to you. Be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. Again, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. And what we see is that Paul, like a general, is placing his lieutenants where they need to be. And that's why submission in ministry is so important. You know, you have to have that heart to understand that God is the one who raises up, and God is the one who puts down, and God is the one who put Saul there on that throne. And David said, I will not touch God's anointed. I'm not going to speak against him. And you guys see that heart. We need to have the same heart. You know, if your leader tells you to do something you want to do, then it's not an issue. Like if my leader told me to have pizza, I would say, okay, you know? Pretty easy command to do. But the rubber meets the road when he asks you to do something maybe you don't want to do. See, that's when submission becomes an issue. Like if he tells me to eat lima beans, okay, now that's going to be a struggle for me, right? <laughs> and that's just the way it is. You know, we have to have that spiritual structure in the church. It's so important. We're all equal in nature. In essence, God loves us all the same. We all have different functions, however, in the family offices in the church and without that understanding we're going to be like soldiers out there in harm's way with chaotic you know consequences of sitting ducks see the lord leads the church and he puts men and, and women where he wants them i like that scripture in first chronicles twelve twenty three. it's speaking of zebulun and it says there were fifty thousand who went to battle expert in war with all weapons of war stout-hearted men who could keep ranks. Very important. You know, what we find is that sometimes our overseer will ask us to do something we don't want to do, and so submission becomes an issue. Other times our overseer will ask us to do something we want to do, and that's usually the case, 
And that's probably the case right here, huh? He says, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And so, like Deborah was sharing earlier, you know, he said, I, I, it's not, I, I just, it can't be letters anymore. It can't be phone calls anymore. It can't be Skype anymore. I need you to come to me. We need to be heart to heart. We need to be face to face. And we know that's how Paul was. There's a difference, huh? You know, John put it this way in 3 John verse 13. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. See? And right here, that's what Paul is saying, you know. You know, Paul's probably older than me at this time. Um, he's nearing, you know, uh, 60 years old. And um, none of us, I mean, once you reach a certain age, you kind of start thinking like, hey, you never know how much longer I'm going to have. You know, do you guys ever think that? Any of you guys that are over 40, you're thinking I might have a heart attack. you guys ever think that? Well, you should. You should, okay? <laughs> we don't know. You never know. We don't have tomorrow guaranteed. We don't. We don't know if we're going to be around next week or next month. With the time that we have left, we have to be busy about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that God puts under us and in our care, pour your life into them. Spend time with them, right? And that's where Paul was. He said, you know, I know Titus is really important. Guy in the ministry, I got to get him over here and we got to spend heart to heart together. You know, and we see that. He even said the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 4. In chapter 4, verse 9, he said, be diligent to come to me quickly. In chapter 4, verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. You see, I think in our study today, we talk a little bit about division and he just says there's people to avoid, those who are argumentative, people who to reject, those who are divisive. Number two, we talk about submission. And there are people to obey. I think there are people to visit as God would lead you. Maybe there's someone in the hospital that you need to see. Maybe there's someone who's incarcerated who would just totally be, be blessed and benefit if you were to take the time and go visit them in prison. See, God will show you. We need to be submissive to the leading of God. And then the third thing, after division and submission, is we need to be submissive in the mission. Because look again in verse 13. He sends Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Right here, he's really talking about mission. The mission. You know, when the Lord left, he said, you know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, there's a mission, but we're not alone because it's a co-mission. Jesus is with us. And I love the way that Paul here in the end, you know, he just, he talks about this. He talks about this guy, Zenos, who's a lawyer. Now, some say maybe he was a Jewish scribe, but probably not because he has a Greek name. So he was really a, he was really a lawyer, 
So there are some good lawyers. There really are, right? And uh, we don't know anything about him other than this. And then, of course, we have Apollos, and he was a, an eloquent teacher, used by the Lord in a great way. Some people believe that maybe they were the bearers of this letter. Maybe they were the ones that brought this letter to Titus. All we know is that now Paul is telling Titus to make sure you send them on their way. Make sure you send them on their mission. Make sure that they lack nothing. Because they are carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. So you make sure that they lack nothing. And I just love the heart of Paul. I love that missionary heart that he had that I think we need to have as well. You know, he talks about sending them there in verse 13, send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey. And, and, you know, don't waste a lot of time. Do it with haste. You know, and we need to be senders as a church. We need to bear our responsibility to send the people out as the Spirit of God leads us, you know. In Acts chapter 13, if you remember the first missionary journey, it says, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The church sent them out as they were led by the Holy Spirit, you know? And I don't know for sure here. Maybe there are some of you here who you're, you're like Isaiah and Isaiah 6. Here am I. Send me. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'm available. I think of these, this couple that's going to Cambodia. That's what they said. Here am I. Send me. I'll go wherever. And God just spinned the globe and then he just kind of put it on Cambodia. You know, I don't know how they ended up in Cambodia, but, you know, not a lot of us are there. Not a lot of us are there. You're tied to your job, you're with your family or whatever. God's not leading you, that's fine. But even though we might not be the ones who are sent, thank God for those who are willing to be sent. And therefore, we must be senders. We must help them on their journey. We must make sure they lack nothing. Praying for them. Wondering what their needs are. And meeting those needs as a church. And that's what he's saying right here. We as a church, we have to be senders. Remember Romans 10 and verse 14 and 15. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You know, there are some people willing to go. But there's not a lot of people willing to send. And that we have to have that heart, you guys. You know, we have to find out who is it that's willing to go on. We're going to do a missions trip maybe to Canada or Vizcaína, Mexico or Nicaragua or Cambodia, whatever it is. And then we just enter into the work that God has. It's a vision and provision. 1 Corinthians 16.6 6, And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. I like what we read in 3 John in verse 5, he says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. 
We therefore are to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. You know, and we read this over and over again, the book of Acts, chapter 28, verse 10, Romans 15, verse 24. Can you believe there are people out there who have never heard the name of Jesus? There are people out there who have never heard of him, the Savior of the world, the love of God manifested in the flesh. They've never heard of him. And so we need people willing to go and to be sent. And we need people who are willing to just to send. You know, and I know there's a lot of you here that, you know, you're, you're good stewards, you know, and you're really good with your finances. But there might be some of us here today who are selfish. We're very selfish in the way we spend our money. You know, one day we're going to stand before God and God's going to say, well, you know, you had a lot, man. You, I don't know if he's going to say man. He probably won't say man. <laughs> I think maybe he will, but I don't know. He'll say, you know, you spend it all on yourself. You know, what does he say right here? He says right here, verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. See, the Bible talks about how the word of God, it fell on a crowded heart. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and it became unfruitful because we get caught up in our life in our agenda in our empty mission and God is just saying you know I understand that don't get me wrong you know you, 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 know, you go get a double double every once in a while you take your wife out on a nice dinner I'm not talking about being weird or you know owning a home things like that but I'm talking about really seeking the Lord, because it's all His. That's not your money. That's God's. And so you, you know, you're taught, and then we learn to meet those urgent needs. You know, you go to Cambodia, you know, they get a bowl of rice and a little bit of veggies. And if we go, then they get to have some chicken. So the Lord just shows us there's so much more. Our people, they learn. And it's for your own benefit. You're going to bear fruit. You know, one day when you stand before God, and of course we know we're talking about moral fruit in Galatians 5. We're also talking about ministry fruit. In John chapter 15, you read that right there, and the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. My Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, you know what? He prunes so that it can bear fruit. Some of you are being pruned. Why? Because God is dealing with your life. Right? And he wants you to bear more fruit. And if you go down to verse 8, and I think over in verse 16, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit as you're doing the things of the Lord, as you're caught up again, once again in the kingdom of God. Right? And so one day, you're standing before the Lord, and this is my fear, because I really want to share this with you guys, and you've got to go home, and you've got to... Well, you know, everybody has to, you know, bring their own life before the Lord. I definitely don't want to control anybody, but, you know, you just make your decisions, right? But, man, the last thing in the world I would want, I don't know how it's going to happen, but let's just say you're standing before the Lord, 
and then there's no fruit, right? Because you never really got the vision. And so, you know, then the Lord says, well, what church did you go to? And then he says, Calvary Chapel Almani. And then I'm over here, I'm like, oh, Lord, they went to, you know. I don't know if it's going to work that way. But let's just say this, you know, I see you there. And one day you will, we will be there. And to your account, just much fruit. Oh, yeah. Praise God. You know, he went to Calvary Chapel. Man, he heard that study. And God changed his life. You know, our, we make our decisions. And then our decisions make us. And that's all he's saying right here. It's not a complicated or sophisticated message. He's just saying there is a mission. When Zenos comes and uh, Apollos comes, send them on their journey and let our people, these beautiful people, let us learn to maintain good works, which is a very important theme in the book of Titus, to meet urgent needs, right, so that they will not be unfruitful. So cool when you read of what the Lord wants for our life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, when they gave to the, to the ministry of Paul the Apostle, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so what do we have? I think a lot of times what ends up happening is what we read over in 2 Peter. Let's turn there real quick, you guys, to 2 Peter And in chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter says, But for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. And the word kindness, it speaks of love and working close. It's a real practical word. It's kind of what we're reading over in Titus but then he says right there in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know, they call it the ladder of virtues. And as you're aggressively cooperating with the Holy Spirit, God is transforming our lives, right? And, and he says, when these are, are yours and, they're, and they're, they are bound, and it's so cool because you're, you're not going to be unfruitful. But if they're not there, if you are unfruitful, here's the reason why. He says it there in verse 9. Because you forgot. You forgot that you were cleansed from all your sins. You've forgotten short-sighted even to blindness. Don't you remember what the Lord did in your life? How we were dead and now we live? How we were under the chains and bondage of sin? There was no hope for our marriage. There was no hope for our life. And Jesus Christ set you free. When you're not living for the Lord, it's because you forgot. And all Peter is saying is, is remember. Remember what the Lord has done for you. 
And as you go back, and as I think about the day that I got saved and how everything changed, and we begin to just rekindle that fire again and just renew that commitment and that first love, then you watch, you watch what God will do with the heart of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're struggling or you're caught up, maybe even religion. You know, religion won't save you. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that is made possible through a commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you and he died on that cross for you. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what your struggles are. It doesn't matter how far you feel from God. He's here. And he's ready and he's willing to save you and to change you and to give you forgiveness and freedom and power and put your life back together again. He can do anything. But he's a perfect gentleman. And he will never force himself upon you. You know, maybe you're here today and you're hurting or the devil is telling a lie to you and telling you that there's no hope for your life, that you're beyond forgiveness. Let me tell you something, man. The Lord is the God of all hope. And there's no sin that he cannot forgive. More than anything else and more important than anything that I've said up to this point is what I'm going to say right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg of you today, give him your life. Surrender to him. He's the only one that can forgive you. He's the only one that can save you. All you have to do is turn from your sins and trust in him. He did all the work when he died for you on the cross. If you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Today you need to give your life to Christ. Because this is what it's all about. You know, we can go to Cambodia and there might be people over there that need the Lord. We go down to Vizcaína, Mexico. But we can go here to Almani too. And even in this building. You know, not everybody that goes to church is a Christian. You guys know that, right? Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? <laughs> you kick it in your car. I mean, you kick it in your garage doesn't make you a car. I know that's silly. Anyways, um, <sighs> the last thing in the world I would want is for you to have come to church maybe multiple times, maybe even hundreds of times, and you don't even really know the Lord. I pray today would be the day of salvation. This is what it's all about, you guys. Here in Titus, he closes with just a simple greeting. He says, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then he says right there, that beautiful word, the way that Paul always finishes his letters, grace, grace be with you all. Amen. And that grace is God's reward at Christ's expense. That grace is God's unmerited favor. That grace is the way that even though we deserve hell, God wants to give us heaven. But you must make a decision 
to follow Jesus Christ. You know, I ran into a guy in the, in the bathroom. I hope that's okay telling you. On the, on the first uh, service, after, before first service started. And, uh, and I just looked at him and I just said to him, you know, I just said, hey, he's all, how you doing, Pastor Manny? I'm doing, hey, how you doing, bro? I'm all, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And he's like, well, why you, you know, well, like you act like it's a big deal or something. And I just told him, I said, you know what? We don't take anything for granted. There's a lot of people that were walking with the Lord and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And maybe you're here today and you've drifted away. And you might leave and you might, you might go the same way you came. You know what? I want to encourage you as well. Don't do that. Today is the day where the Holy Spirit will meet you and He'll empower you and He'll bless you. And it's so cool. It's not a 12-step thing. It's a one-step thing. It really is. It's just that one step where you come back to the Lord and He does the rest and He runs all the way to you and he picks you up and he embraces you. He puts a ring on your hand, a robe and sandals, and he kills a fatted calf. And he says, awesome. My son, was he, was he was lost, but now he's found again. And the prodigal son returns. All I know is we're living in the last days. I don't know how much time we have left. And these are not days to play games. Full bore, you guys. No more neutral. No more cruise control, Okay. <laughs> full bore for Jesus Christ because he loves you so much. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word together and just um, the way that you're an awesome God. Lord, I just pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, they're not a Christian. I don't want them to die without you, Lord. And so I pray that right here, right now, they would be touched by your Holy Spirit to receive you into their life. I pray, Father God, that you would touch every heart and they do a mighty work. And if you're here today and you want to receive the Lord, you want Him to be the Savior of your life, you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You want to be forgiven of all your sins. You want a new start. You want a new heart. I'll tell you what, God will meet you where you are. And all I want you to do is I want you to pray this prayer. And you pray this prayer from your heart and you mean it. And you talk to God. And you do business with God. And you watch what He will do. You just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin and today I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.